Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, and subbing for Chris this week is one of the co-hosts of From Complex to Queens, our minor league podcast here at Amazing Avenue, Mr. Lucas Flahos. Lucas, thank you for subbing in at the last minute here. Oh, happy to be on the flagship program. It's Uh-oh. been a while. <laughs> it has, Have I ever been on this one? I don't know. I, I, the name has changed. Who knows? But I'm excited to talk to you for two reasons. First of all, you don't get a chance to, in podcast form, talk about the major league club very often no so i'm excited to get your takes on that but also we have breaking news as we're recording and this is stuff that that you are going to be able to add some interesting context to so uh we are recording this at 208 p.m on uh friday the 23rd of july it is not official yet but it appears that the mets have acquired rich hill from the tampa bay rays in exchange for prospect matt dyer and uh injured potentially out for the season bullpen piece tommy hunter can we talk about tommy hunter's met season for just like 30 seconds oh, here absolutely you go dude for it. comes up throws a couple fun innings gets an rbi single right and then hurts himself celebrating and doesn't appear again and then was gets- traded for a kind of useful piece it's it's crazy, like it's legendary Mets career. I think that was his first career to hit too. He's it like was, all yes. pumped up on the base paths and throws out his back. I mean that that's king shit right there. That really is. That uh-huh. is. 
That is, and, and he had a lot of fun in the post game talking about that hit, if you recall as well. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, good for that guy. You know, I, I hate to see him go, but honestly, if he wasn't going to throw another inning for the Mets this season, and they brought back Rich Hill, uh, for those that don't know, Rich Hill's players' weekend nickname is Dick Mountain, which the greatest. is greatest. The nickname. greatest. Yes. So. Um, no offense to former Met Jerry Blevins, who also has had very good Players Weekend nicknames. Dick Mountain is is the top there. Um, so how do you feel about Rich Hill as a piece? I mean, I, I think a lot of Amazing Avenue folks, myself included, and Chris and I were texting about this earlier today, we had wanted Rich Hill on the team three-ish years ago mm-hmm. when he was last a free agent, or maybe two free agencies ago. And, you know, Hill seems like a guy who... I mean, I, I have a thing for aging lefties who throw forever, you know, um, and so I, I think that he could be a useful piece. He's not what he once was, but since the Mets have so little starting pitching, this seems like a move that if you can criticize it, you can only really criticize it for not being a bigger, like for not for them not going after a bigger piece. But I don't think that this necessarily precludes that, nor do I think that it should be understated just how just how much they need a guy like Rich Hill who can take the ball for five innings every five days. I mean, they need a literal warm body at this point because Robert Stock is hurt. Jared Eikhoff was bad and gone. So who who even was left in the rotation at this point? It was pretty dire. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) I'm not uh, I've not stolen your joke, Dave. Please don't tweet at me. Um, (laughs) Like it, it was bad. And I, I, from an aesthetic standpoint, I absolutely love Rich Hill, both for the nickname reasons, for the story reasons. Like, dude was practically out of ball. Not out of ball. He was, like, still in the majors, but on his way to being cast off. Tons of injury issues. He comes out and has that huge, like, cameo for Boston and then follows it up the next year. Goes to L.A. for a couple years and is great. I actually really liked what Minnesota did with him and Homer Bailey, where they're like, hey, neither of you guys can stay healthy, so we're going to sign both of you to fill a run rotation spot. It didn't totally work, but it was a good idea. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm definitely with you in that he would have been an interesting guy to pick up uh, a couple free agencies ago. Hell, I would have even been interested in him in, uh, for this free agency. And that the Rays were interested is somewhat validating on that front, uh, given that even if it's not always the most uh, uh, healthy thing for the sport, most of what the Rays do does help them win. Yes. Yes, agreed. Um, I know that there has been some talk about the diminishing spin rate on, I believe it's on his curveball, correct? Over the past four or five starts. And I know you pulled up the StatCast data on that. So what is StatCast saying about his curveball? Yeah, so his curveball's definitely down uh, significantly. Like, earlier in the year, I mean, his, his best pitch is his curveball. It's 28 to 2,900 RPMs, which is pretty pretty high up there. I mean, Seth Lugo gets into above 3K, but uh, 28-29 is pretty high. And it dipped down 25, maybe 26 for a couple starts. He actually got it back up two starts ago to around 2,700. Um but it was back down again on the 18th, so who knows? Uh, he's seen smaller but still noticeable dips in uh, his slider, though he has, hasn't has thrown it as, nearly as much. Fastball is much flatter. I mean, it's it's a lot harder to draw uh, statistical conclusions from relatively minor dips. Um, guys on Twitter like Max Bay have talked a lot about how it's 
you need a reasonable sample size and a fairly large difference to like conclusively say that this is real, not just a random fluctuation, but it is down. So uh, the evidence is there that he's potentially a goop guy. Now, at the, on the other hand, it is Rich Hill, right? Rich Hill is nothing if not injury prone. Who knows whether he's dealing with something significant. He's also a guy who's dealt with significant blister issues in his career. So maybe he just has a couple of bad blisters right now um, that have coincidentally been timed with MLB's ban of goop. So I, you can't conclusively say what's happening here. There's some evidence that suggests that his spin rates might have been linked to just, oh, my, the ball isn't sticky anymore. Um, but we'll see what happens over the next couple starts, see if it rebounds at all. Do you feel like... How can I say this in a way that isn't totally obvious? Like, uh, do you think that, I mean, it has to be said that Rich Hill for even three or four starts at a slightly below average major league clip is more valuable than an injured Tommy Hunter and Matt Dyer, right? Oh, this is a joke of a trade. I truly don't understand how the Mets got this deal. Um... Look, the Rays work in mysterious ways, but they're not infallible, and they do do stupid stuff sometimes. And they just traded for Nelson Cruz. Maybe the $600,000 they're saving in this deal, which is all they're saving from the math that I've seen, is necessary, right? Like, right. they work on pretty razor-thin margins. Again, not healthy for the sport. We could have a much longer discussion about why the Rays are bad, but... It's possible that their man mandate from ownership really is that tight, and they need to save 600k. At the same time, they also have, unlike the Mets, a, a ton of arms they could call up. Right, like the guys they traded for for Nelson Cruz, they just traded Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. Joe Ryan would probably be like the fourth starter on the Mets right now, and they traded him away for 40 seven year old or however old nelson cruz is feels like 300 dh (laughs) right but they can throw out luis patino they can throw out shane boz if they want to do something crazy they have other guys they can that i'm failing to pull out of my head right now but tons of other guys they can turn to right they have the depth to say hey maybe rich hill is bad now our young guys might be better anyway and we're a poverty franchise so we need that 600k back please take rich hill yeah, I mean, if that's the case, and the Mets, you know, for the first time in a long time, don't have to worry about every dollar right now. And so mm-hmm. it's a good fit in that way. Um, let's talk about Matt Dyer for a second. So, you know, I, I am somebody who keeps abreast of Mets prospects, but not as as closely as you and the other from Complex to Queens folks do. And this is a relatively new acquisition. You know, he's a 2020 drafter. Uh, fourth round, I believe, last year, yes. correct? Yes, yes, yes. Um, He's a catcher who doesn't seem to be able to catch or hit that well. Correct. Does, does, is that an accurate assessment of that? That of is him? an accurate accept, uh, uh, description of Matthew Dyer, yes. Okay, so w- what would you see as Dyer's upside? Double uh, A shuttle catcher? Uh, look, the dude's not... Catchers are weird. Patrick Mazeka has gotten major league time, has gotten major <laughs> league starts as a catcher, which, I mean, we sure as hell didn't see coming. And so, unlike some other spots on the field, I can't like outright say this dude would never have reached the majors or something, but I don't see a major league player here. 
so it wasn't as extreme as the 2019 draft when they were cutting hard to fit in Matthew Allen, but the Mets did cut pretty hard with their last couple picks um, in order to squeeze in uh, JT Ginn, who they gave uh, uh, $1.5 million over slot in the second round. Um, now, most of those savings did come from Anthony Walters in the third, who was also not a prospect, but Dyer was 150 k under slot, roughly. Uh, and... Really, the Mets got a non-prospect at that spot. This is actually a topic we've covered a bit on the minor league pod where two years running and now three years with with Rocker, the Mets have been one of the teams that's going hard at the top of the draft and then cutting bonuses with, with the rest of their picks in order to save money. And despite that, despite the fact that they're getting their pick of the senior signs or the mediocre junior signs which is what Dyer was they haven't really been hitting on actual prospects and and Dyer definitely looks like a miss in that front you know the the whole idea of going big at the top of the draft I know that this is a big conversation we could spend a long time talking about but just real briefly it seems like that is a very logical move because baseball is so luck-based when it comes to what prospects pan out and don't and there's Never great data on people coming into the draft. You know, there's there's so many question marks. It seems like if you can go after a Kumar Rocker, you take that guy mm-hmm. every time. Um, do you see any sort of like organizational deficits in a couple of years because of this? So way going about is, things. I I I think they already have deficits that have been that were there from previous draft more traditional drafting methods, right? Because frankly the Mets haven't spent a ton on on scouting or amateur acquisition relative to other teams and and they don't do a good job in these middle rounds typically right weirdly even before they went with this go hard at the top cut later the Mets very much were hitting at the top of the draft and then getting nothing else right they were getting I mean Michael Conforto Brandon Nimmo Dominic Smith Pete Alonso's a second round pick like all these guys are, are first round picks that have hits to would but like our actual prospects and then the rest of their drafts have been poor to awful um and it seems they leaned into that even more under Brody Van Wagenen and now back under under Sandy but really the the deficits we're seeing in the minor league system now it existed even before they started doing these sorts of cutting things and again if you're going to be dipping into the senior sign pool before everyone else, you should be able to get a couple actual prospects out of it. Um, and, and that they haven't is an indictment more of their scouting uh, department or their lack of expenditure there, what have you, uh, as opposed to an indictment of the the strategy as a whole. Um, and as much as we criticize the Rays, they do pay their scouts slightly more, right? They've said, hey, the marginal cost of paying all our scouts more is less than actually running a major league payroll. So our farm system is always elite and we can always have a $50 million roster. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the fact that the minors were already, I mean, obviously the, the Mets minor league depth has not been great for the last couple of years, but I did not. I didn't think about it in the sense that even bef- even before they started going big at the top, that, that was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we can have a much longer conversation about why that is the case. But I mean, if you go back three or four years, you, you go back five that far into the draft. Those are the kind of those are the players who should now be your upper minors depth guys. Mm-hmm. And those drafts sucked, so they don't have anyone. Um, 
like the the deficits now are not really a product of the most recent drafts. The MLB MLB draft is a slow burn relative to other sports, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the fact that people are talking about the possibility of Rocker playing for the Mets in 2022 or 2023 (laughs) shows, and and that being the exception, shows you how slow of a burn it is. Whereas in basketball or or football, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd be up to, they'd be up the start of next season, no matter what. Right. And that's at the top of the draft, right? It's a slow burn at the top of the draft. It's even a slower burn in all the later rounds. Right. And and that, that they've missed in those later rounds a couple of years back uh, is what's causing the problems now. Now, uh, Looking ahead to the rest of this trade deadline, obviously I, I think the Mets need help in a couple of areas. Where would you focus your attention? Like for me, my order probably goes another starting pitcher, another bullpen piece, and then probably a second bullpen piece. I think offensively the team's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I am I am concerned about the pitching. Where do you see your where would you focus your attention if you were in charge? Uh so I think for me, I definitely, I mean, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that this team is probably good enough to win the division as is because the division is a disaster. Um, and then the playoffs are, then there's a two-sided coin of the playoffs are random. And also this team isn't like good enough to merit like significant rental expenditures. So anything I'd be looking to do would also be something that would help the team in 2022. Uh so, so I, rather than focusing on a specific position, I'm almost looking at guys with control as opposed to fixing specific spots, largely because I think every spot could be upgraded, right? They could use a real third baseman. They could use more pitching, both in the bullpen and in the rotation. Um, I think the... I don't know that it's actually been floated as opposed to just nonsensical Mets Twitter rumors, but the idea of trading for both... Josh Donaldson and Jose Barrios in in one move uh, is one that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like there's your third baseman for the next couple of years, even if the last year of that contract is going to be ugly. Donaldson still hits a ton and plays a pretty good third base. Uh, Barrios would be uh, very much like acquiring Marcus Stroman with a year of control. Solid like mid-rotation, maybe a number two starter if you squint. Um, And the Twins sure are bad. Like I could... If the Twins call you up and say, yeah, we like, we really like Ronnie Mauricio, and you can go get Jose Brios and or Josh Donaldson, I think that's something you consider uh, pretty strongly. Do you, do you think that that is close to what the return would likely be asked for? I, it's gotten harder in recent years to like predict deadline acquisition costs, I feel like. It's so often... Like, you'll be bantering around ideas, and you're like, there's no way they move them for that that little, and then guys get moved for what feels like nothing at all. So right. who's who's to say? Like, I think that's a pretty fair package. It wouldn't surprise me if there are major league teams who argue that that's too much to give up, that giving up someone of Mauricio's caliber is too much to give up given Donaldson's money. Um, I don't think I agree with that. I'm also much lower on Mauricio than a lot of people. Um I'd certainly rather take that route than trade for, say, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, both of whom I think are very good players and who I'd love them to sign in the offseason, but sign them in the offseason and trade your prospects for something you can't get with just money, right? Like, sure, yeah. There's no reason you can't trade for 
let's just say for the sake of argument you just trade for brios right now with mauricio and you wait a couple months and and that helps you this season for sure maybe you make a couple smaller bullpen acquisitions and then you go out and sign chris bryant as opposed to also trading something significant for chris bryant um like to me that just makes more sense I think that makes a lot of sense. I think especially looking at guys who could help you next year is big. My one note on the playoffs, though, is I think that, you know, my statement here is about to be a lot of what ifs. So I'm just warning Mm -hmm. you, (laughs) this get go here. If if DeGrom is healthy for the playoffs, which I think this injury is minor enough that that's likely or -hmm. at least possible. Mm -hmm. If DeGrom is healthy for the playoffs and Stroman and Walker are pitching at about what they've been pitching now. I don't know how many other teams have a top three as strong as those three in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely a fair point. I mean, the Dodgers have their own injury issues. I still think the Giants are mostly fool's gold outside of, like, Kevin Gaussman being amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Padres are probably very good, but might not get past the wild card round because that's what happens in random one game playoffs. So Exactly. Uh, look, I'm not. I'm not ruling out the. I, I was actually toying with writing an article about this. That there's there's a, a a trade-off that I think is largely based in what you care about as a fan, right? And I think I lean more towards I don't want to push chips in unless I'm pretty confident I can get to the World Series and win it. I don't really want to try to just make the playoffs and hope. Um, but there's definitely an argument that you should always just try to make the playoffs and hope because it's random and it's fun. And uh, I, I think those arguments are definitely all, all totally justifiable. And it really comes down to a matter of what you as a fan want to see, right? Is it, at least in my mind, it's more painful to go to the playoffs and lose than it is to not go to the playoffs. But I might be weird in that, that aspect, that, that respect. I mean, I definitely understand that. Um, I don't, I don't know if I it, see. It's so hard for me to to make a call about that because on one hand, I feel like, at, you know, the Mets have not made the playoffs that many times in mm-hmm. my 30, 39 years of existence. No, it's absolutely so, a fair argument. You know, uh, but but I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, I just think that the Mets have, the, to me, the teams that go far in the playoffs, oftentimes have two things, and that is really really good starting pitching, and then just dumb luck. And I feel like this season has had a lot of Mets dumb luck so far. <laughs> so not that you can quantify that or anything that like that, but but I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's like they've they've dumped all their bad luck aspects into their injury luck, and then on the field, random stuff keeps happening. Though I think they're still actually well under their base runs expectations. Like their sequencing has still been really bad, but. No, I like they have no right winning a couple of the games they've won. That's for sure. Well, that that transitions us nicely into talking about the series in Cincinnati a little bit. The less said about the series in Pittsburgh, the better. We know, yeah, let's but, not. But <laughs> in Cincinnati, I mean that that Monday night game was among the dumbest games I remember watching as a baseball fan. Yeah, it's like brain rotting. Yeah, it was it was absurd. But they won fifteen to ten. Uh, uh-huh. somehow in the 11th inning based on a Kevin Pillar bomb. Um, but, you know, it's a... Uh, the the game on Tuesday, I think, is actually a really, really interesting game to look at. They lost Robert Stock after one inning pitched. And they basically... They they, they lost the game, but they, they hung in the entire time with about as little 
major league pitching talent as you could use to get through that game. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, minor, just minor prospect churn at the major league level with Steven Nagosik and Yancy Diaz. And, you know, it, in a way, I was with my brother all week. He's in town from Arizona, and he's a huge baseball fan. So we watched a lot of baseball together, and he said, you know, that's kind of the worst game possible for the Mets because if if you knew you were going to lose that game and Stock comes out in the first inning, well, then you could have let, you know, Jeff McNeil pitch seven innings. It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Like, you don't waste the bullpen, and it's fine. And And I understand where he's coming from with that, but also you have to respect the team – that doesn't just give up in that scenario. Um, but the whole series was kind of was kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. I think it shed light on what the Mets need right now, what the Mets are have going for them right now. I, ju- I just find it to be a very very interesting series to look back upon. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it helps that the uh, what is it? Great American, Great American, Great American, Ballpark, American yes, right? Yeah, yeah. is a is a clown ass stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> like that Luis Guillaume home run, which I think was actually on Wednesday. It was who can yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh had no business getting out of the ballpark. Neither did that Jonathan VR home run, which I think was also Wednesday, yes. right? Like <laughs> it is a stupid ballpark, which leads to games like this, which are good fun for sure, series like these, which are good fun when you're winning them. Uh, and it also helps that the Reds bullpen is just about as bad as the Mets bullpen. Right. Weirdly they're like vastly different in terms of the actual results i think the mets are like three runs better in terms of their bullpen era but on talent at the moment it sure feels sure feels like they're pretty similar and it sure felt like they were pretty similar throughout this entire series it really did it was it was a weird 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 series mm-hmm. um now how do you is there one of these guys that pitched over the last week, the guys that keep getting called up and sent down and, and DFA'd and all that, is there one of those guys that you would identify as, okay, this is the guy the Mets should, if not keep up at the major league level, at least invest some resources in, at least make part of the plan going forward? You know, Is there one person that stands out to you? I mean, I, I like Yancy Diaz a little bit. I think he, he is the uh, certainly the most notable prospect of the ones they've been cycling through like Nagosik isn't a prospect anymore at this point um who else even has there been has Tropiano pitched I know he's been called up a couple times uh like Diaz though seems to me like the the most interesting arm here um and his uh I mean he was someone they acquired from uh the Blue Jays as part of that Steven Match trade uh, and his minor league and major league line is pretty interesting this year. It's like much higher strikeouts than we've seen previously, but also a lot more or a good deal more walks. Um, they've kind of shifted him from being a starter to working out of the bullpen exclusively. Um, but there was a, a recent article or maybe it was just a Twitter thread uh, about how guys with with uh, high strikeouts and high walks work better as relievers, right? When you bring them into a, a clean inning, you're just trying to avoid contact. And ultimately, walks are less good than any sort of hit. Uh, so you can live with, with high high walks if you've got a high strikeout guy. And right now he's running a, an 11K9 in, in AAA with, a four, with a, almost five walks per nine. Um, now, I don't think that means he's going to be a shutdown reliever or anything right like the guys alex reyes is succeeding like this but he's almost certainly the exception rather than the rule it just means he's more interesting than negosek or any of these other uh retreads that the mets are are running out there right now hartlieb 
what the hell is a golf heart leave? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I concur. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one of those claims, and like I think most of us who do this kind of stuff have a deeper uh deeper awareness of other teams rosters than most casual fans but that was someone who was like who who is this never heard of this guy before i i legitimately never heard of that player and then his name is you would think with a name like gottlieb i would have remembered that guy uh-huh. but i instantly forgot they claimed him and then we called him up said wait a minute who who is I, this so, guy again so yeah. i forgot he, i didn't know he existed I learned he existed, and then I forgot he existed, <laughs> all in like one fell swoop. Yes. So yes. I mean, the tw- the twenty twenty one Mets, everyone. Yes, that is about as twenty twenty one Mets as I think you can get right now. Apparently, um, as I Google it, he was on the Pirates' top thirty prospects in twenty eighteen on Fangraphs. You learn something new every day. There we go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, well, this is sort of our, our last topic today. And again, you are, are a good person to talk to about this. You know, a number of weeks ago now, there was um, there was a lot of discussion about the Mets, and just in minor league baseball in general, but specifically the Mets, not treating their minor league players as well as they should. And this came to light specifically because of you know, the Mets' new ownership. And it's great to have Steve Cohen as owner because... They can take money on at the deadline in the way that they couldn't in the past. And he seems like he's a legitimate Mets fan and wants the team to succeed. And, you know, we can say nice things about Steve Cohen. But when you have that much money and your minor leaguers are living in squalor, it's hard to get too excited about your ownership. And so he had promised that he was going to have a comprehensive plan to discuss minor league living situations and... Uh, compensation, etc. That plan has not come out yet, but there has been some some information, I believe, initially leaked by the mother of of a Mets minor leaguer, if I'm not uh-huh. mistaken, um, that says that the Mets are starting to to make some improvements here. Mm-hmm. How real do you think these improvements are, and do you think that Cohen will eventually get to a good place, or is this just doing the bare minimum, sort of just as lip service for saying, look, look, I'm I'm doing something. See, see how much I'm doing right here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really hard to say for right now, um, and, and at the risk of being called a, a billionaire bootlicker or something, I'm willing to give Steve Cohen at least a little bit of benefit of the doubt uh, when he came out and said like this was something they were still looking at. When, 
I, I think he got criticized a little bit too much initially when this was first coming out. I don't think Steve Cohen is the kind of owner who's really meddling in everything. If it was Jeff Wilpon saying, yeah, I had no idea my minor leaguers were suffering like this, he'd be like, okay, sure, buddy. Right. But uh, Cohen seems much more like a hands-off owner. He's just here to have a good time and enjoy owning a Met team. And look, if, if he became aware of this, addressed it, and we see meaningful changes... I'll give him credit for doing something that, even though it's the bare minimum and something that every organization should do, is something that no organization actually does. So if it, if it turns out that they make meaningful changes and make these guys' lives meaningfully better or easier, good for them. At the moment, I, I, I don't know that we can definitively say whether that's happening. And even if they do make some improvements, it could very well be more... Uh, PR wins as opposed to the meaningful but extremely affordable changes uh, that could be made here to to uh, fix this system. Uh, we actually did a whole show on this last off season, or maybe it was in the COVID break last year, mm-hmm. um, where we did like a very back of the envelope calculation of how much it would cost to provide housing and better meals and financial training and language training, like all these sort of things that minor leaguers could use and it's the cost of like a middle reliever for a huge competitive advantage uh let alone the the moral argument for doing so um so so i'm i'm not sure what he's done so far i'm afraid to say that it'll probably wind up being less than what it should be but hopefully it's something that that at least means these guys can subsist off something other than peanut butter and jelly sandwich three times a day and don't have to live six to an apartment that would hopefully that would that would be a very small victory for just you know it, we shouldn't even have to talk about that. No, right? it's that, ludicrous. It, it, it's it's insane. But if that can happen, that's better than what's happening right now. I mean, and it's also, I mean, the, the, the here here's the other point is that if if four idiots on a minor, who do a minor league podcast on the weekend can do some back of the envelope math here and find that this costs nothing. I can assure you that major league organizations have done the same analysis and said, man, if we just treated our minor leaguers better, think about how much be- how much better our prospect development would be, how much easier it would be to attract minor league free agents, how much easier it would be to sign draft picks or IFA dudes when they know they're going to a system that cares about them, right? All of these would vastly improve your pal- t- talent development pipeline at the cost of one middle reliever per year, which is what? half a war something right like the idea the idea that making these sorts of systematic changes isn't cost effective is insane and the idea that major league teams haven't done this math and seen the same thing is also insane which implies that there's definitely a mandate from the league not to do this so who who knows what's actually going on behind the scenes and, and hopefully steve cohen winds up telling them to go screw i'm an owner now i'm going to do what i want but I'm not holding my breath for that. Yeah, I mean, I I think we can all hope that. I mean, don't forget, the owners didn't want Steve Cohen necessarily to buy the Mets for a couple no. of reasons, but I don't think it was because of his socialist values, right? Where he's, where he's, <laughs> I don't think that's a major concern for uh, twelve billionaire hedge fund owner Steve Cohen, right? So I I don't think that he's necessarily doing this for the people. I think that you know if. If somebody can convince him this is a solid financial move 
or if they can convince him this will get him good PR. I think right. those are the reasons he'll do it, not because like he has he changed his mind about you know the Absolutely. evils of capitalism. No, this like that. that's definitely the argument that would work on Cohen. Like, hey, this will pay for itself. Oh, hedge fund manager finds good investment opportunity. Yeah, you bet he'll be more open to that argument than oh, this is the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, Lucas, we always do a, a music recommendation on this show. You said this was going to be hard for you. Is that because you don't listen to a lot of music, or um, or what? What what is I, sort of your relationship with music? So I'm not a huge music guy. Weirdly, like I grew up as like a competition violinist, weirdly enough, but I've never been huge into listening to music. That said, I do have a, a recommendation that's maybe a little different than what you usually dish out on, Which is on great. this show. Um, so I'm not a big music guy but i but i do play a lot of games and a lot of video games do actually have really excellent soundtracks these days so if you're a metalhead into that kind of sound i would highly recommend going to listen to uh the doom eternal uh soundtrack it's written by mick J uh jagger uh, gordon jagger jack <laughs> jesus christ mick gordon um I would describe it as like metal without guitars and it slaps like I'm not going to go into a long spiel about what the game is, but it's really great motivational music to like work to. Um, and it's just fun to listen to in general. Well, that sounds like a really fun uh, suggestion. There appears to be a, a playlist on Spotify that is uh, the doom eternal soundtrack. So yep, that that's that. I mean, I'm sure many of the, um, to say this politely maybe older listeners are more familiar with the original like <laughs> eight bit doom soundtrack do 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 right but I, I i am familiar with that soundtrack yes <laughs> yeah excellent excellent the new but the i assure you that this soundtrack is much more um sophisticated and refined than that okay i will i will take your word for it um <laughs> So uh, my pick this week is is a, uh, a slightly strange one as well, but uh, I think that listeners of the show, if anyone, if anyone pays attention to the music selections in the show, I think you will note that I oftentimes pick a very strange album. Um, so I am I am picking a compilation uh, today. It came out on a, a label called Light in the Attic Records, which does great work in releasing. Um, like these these albums that kind of give a glimpse into a scene or a style of music, and so there is this whole style of music, and I'm going to butcher this, called Kankyo uh, Ungato. No, I fucked that up so badly. Kankyo uh, Ungaku. It's basically it's it's called Japanese environmental music, and it's basically ambient music that is meant to just play in the background. It's just meant to be like. To make your room a more pleasant room, you put this on. You've and actually piqued my interest with this description. I have to admit. Yeah, so it's 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 like it's it's kind of like ambient music, kind of new agey, but it's all really just beautiful, pleasant music. And like, if you need something when you're doing some work, or you're just like coming. Like, last night I got home at like ten thirty from work, and I was eating a shitty fast food dinner that I picked up on the way home because there was no food in my house, and I just put this on, and it just. It just calmed me down, and it was a really like nice, quiet way to end the evening. Um, so it, it, it's I'm gonna link to it. I don't want to mispronounce it again, but the the subtitle of it is Japanese Ambient Environmental and New Age Music, 1980 to 1990. It's just ten songs. 
Uh, it's really, really nice and pleasant. And uh, yeah, it's just something different than what you might be listening to day in, day out. So You know, I don't think we could have recommended more different sounds. <laughs> I gave someone like a heavy-duty FPS me- uh, game metal soundtrack, and you're recommending calm, peaceful Japanese <laughs> ambient music. Hey, that's fun, though. That's fun that we have... so, so here's an experiment for you listeners. Why don't you, like, interweave the album and monitor <laughs> your heart rate as it goes up and down between different songs? That Someone would be... tweet, tweet at us with that image. Yes, please do that. Um, well, Lucas, thank you for sitting in on the show this week. It was a lot of fun having you on. Thank you for having me. And uh, as always, go to AmazingAvenue.com for all of your Mets needs. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This show and all of our Amazing Avenue podcasts, including from Complex to Queens every Monday morning on Amazing Avenue, can be found on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Lucas is on Twitter at Elvlahos343. Uh, his display name is Janeshwi Vargas, fa- Vargas fan, so uh, my yes. apologies for his DFA. Um, oh. I, <laughs> I am on Twitter at Brian Itanap, and until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go.